Hello and welcome to Your Quality of Life Healthy Alternatives. This is Dr. Christine Sauer and I'm extremely happy today to talk with my good friend Linda Sunshine West from the Sunshine Coast, where else? Uh, Linda is a wonderful woman, uh, the queen of collaboration. She's a speaker, 11-time best-selling author, executive film producer, red carpet interviewer, and the founder of Women Action Takers. Now, Linda, welcome to this show. Thanks so much for having me, Christine. Excited to be here. And I love how you said from the Sunshine Coast. Uh, yeah, because I'm here in San Diego, California, so it, it is not sunshine right now at this moment because it's still dark, but it's coming up. It's coming up. I've been there. The climate is inviolable. So if you can be in San Diego, even visit it, go ahead. It is wonderful. Now, yeah. Linda and I published together this book, Invincible Forevermore, and I can recommend it to anybody as I can any book that Linda ever published, because that is a definitely strength of her. She can help books or make them so amazing that they end up on the Amazon bestsellers list, not just one and in several categories and for quite some time and internationally. So you got talents, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, thanks for saying that. What's interesting is I never saw myself as somebody doing publishing a book, you know, my, not alone let alone my own as well as others, you know, because I was never a writer. I didn't enjoy writing and uh, it just kind of morphed into that. And I think sometimes we set up ourselves for, you know, the, the goals that we have in life. But if we do that too often, I think we miss some opportunities. And if I had really said, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing in five years that I would have missed this opportunity. That is very true. And most entrepreneurs take several attempts at different business niches before they actually see the opportunity that makes them thrive, fly, whatever you want to want to know, uh, want to call it. And through your collaboration, I met many exciting other women that are wonderful people and amazing human beings just like yourself. So you're doing definitely something that you're meant to do. Now, it hasn't been always that way. And as you say, at age five, you ran away and was lost for a whole week. How did that happen? Yeah, well, I grew up in a very volatile, abusive, alcoholic household, you know, like a lot of us. It's interesting because I didn't really realize how many people had grown up in the same type of environment as me until I started talking about it. But um, you know, that environment was so toxic for me. So at five years old, I made a decision and you know, this shows how, how, how strong we are really at five is I made a decision to leave the house and I was gone for a week. Now I just ran away to the neighbor's house, but for all intents and purposes, I was gone forever. That was my intention. And my mom knew where I was. And this is something that I think was very important for my, my future. What happened is I didn't know my mom knew where I was. So here I was at the neighbor's house and nobody came to get me. So what happened is something that locked really deep inside of me is that they don't love me. They don't want me around. They didn't come to get me. And my mom did know I was gone. So I imagine she's passed away. So I can't ask her this question, but I imagine that from my mom's perspective, she was letting me exercise my independence. Yet from my perspective as a five-year-old, they don't want me. They don't love me. They don't want me around. 
And so that really, I think, shaped a lot of my life from that point forward. And I, um, I just, I had this thought that, you know, they, that my family, I'm so different. They used to make fun of me all the time. So I always saw myself as a, the, the different child. And again, they didn't want me around. So that really uh, stopped me from thinking for myself. It stopped me from um, doing things. I had a lot of fear and I became a people pleaser when I came back home with my tail between my legs and literally, literally my head bent down. I wouldn't look people in the eyes for decades to come. Mm. Isn't that many women, especially, but also men that I talk to experience the same thing. They become people pleaser because we are told we have to please people. It's a good trait to put others first. And we are not told that that on the long run destroys us if yeah. we don't put ourselves first and then serve others from the overflow. And yes, I think well, that's a fundamental flaw in many educational systems. I How agree. And I, yeah, I think that I know like Les Brown says, fill your cup first and then um, give to others with the overflowing, just like what you said, right? And I think that's a very important piece that's missing. And oftentimes we never get that. We never really tap into that. So it's really important, I think, for us to tap into that earlier. And especially if parents are teaching their kids that, that's ideal, of course. But I, um, I heard this saying once and it made me laugh and, you know, laughing like, uh, not so sure about it. But that was that our only job as parents is to get our kids to age 18 alive. Like that was the only job because we're going to screw them up anyway and then they're going to need help. So I think not whether you grow up in a really great environment or a really bad environment, there's still going to be some screwing up that your parents are going to do. So, you know, then as an adult, time to go on your journey to find the people who can help you to realize that, okay, how do I, how do I take care of me first? I haven't been taught. So now I need to be taught how to do that. You know, that's an interesting question. How did in previous generations, the people do that? They did not have any other people to help them besides maybe a pastor. Yeah, who knows? Who knows who what knows? they did, right? So I, I agree. Every parent screws up their kids in some way, even if they have the best of intention. I know I was a mom. I'm a grandma. I do it. I've never met anybody that didn't. And at some point when kids grow up, they realize uh, my parents tried the best they could at the time. And hopefully there are parents that don't even do that. And those are the really um, I don't respect them as much. Let's put it that way. Right, <laughs> but most, right. most parents try their best and they make mistakes as we are yeah. human. And as yeah, children, we think our parents should be perfect. <laughs> and the parents expect us to grow up perfect. And maybe we think we are perfect. And then at some point we fall in the deep slump and the world holds us a mirror for the eye and says, hey, you're nothing special. Your parents may think that, but everybody else doesn't know you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know I used to be a perfectionist. And, and I think a lot of that perfectionist for me, at least, you know, I can only speak about myself, is that was because, you know, when you grow up in an abusive environment, you're a lot of times trying to fix everything and make everything right. So that way the, the abuser won't come and get you or won't attack you or won't do whatever, you know. 
And, and I think that that's what spurred on my perfectionism. My mom was an immaculate, immaculate house cleaner. And she made sure that everything was spit, you know, spit shined, you know, basically around the entire house at all times. And a lot of that, I know that that was because of her fear of what would happen if it wasn't, you know, and a lot of her, a lot of her um, um, actions were based on that fear. And what happened is that fear transcended down to me and my other siblings. Like we all blamed ourselves that we always thought it was our fault that mom was being beat. You know, we always, all of us, we talked about this after my dad passed away. So we didn't even talk about this until dad was gone. And we discovered that every single one of us felt the same exact way. Isn't it something we let ourselves control by the fear and the fear of rejection, as I learned from one of my mentors, Dr. Joseph McLennan III, licensed neuroencoding, awesome, awesome. And he's a really good guy. And, and it's one of the major and main human fears, the fear of rejection. We don't want to be rejected. We'll do anything. We'll try to be perfect. And in the end, there will be always rejections coming our way. And we have to learn to deal with our fears. And I know that you at age 51 did an exceptionally interesting thing to deal with your own fears. Tell us about that one. I did at age 51. So, you know, I had lived all those years as a people pleaser and I had so many fears. And, and those again, you know, it stemmed from that childhood of having the fear locked in me. And at age 51, I decided to uh, face a fear every single day for an entire year. And that actually came from, it's kind of interesting how it happened, um, is that in, at 51 also, I hired a life coach. And my life coach helped me to start to like unfold and see what was inside of this onion, you know, this, this hard shell that I had. And started to unfold to see, you know, who I am, what I'm all about, what value I have, and all these different things about me. And that was in November of 2014 that I was done working with her. So in December of 2014, I had a whole month to myself. And I didn't make nearly as much growth as I did working with her. So that's why, you know, January 1st, 2015, I woke up that morning and I said, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to face a fear every single day this year. And so that's how it happened. And every morning I would wake up, the very first thing I would ask myself is what scares me? And then I would lay in bed and I would wait until the first fear came up. And whatever that fear was, I had to face it that day. That was my commitment to myself. So I did that every single day. And it was incredible the amount of growth that happened, the amount of confidence that I started to gain, the, you know, how often I started speaking out and sharing my voice and getting myself in front of people, things I was terrified to do before. Absolutely. Because I had a tremendous fear of rejection, as well as the fear of judgment, the fear of judgment. Oh my gosh, that stopped me from living. That stopped me from living. But here I am now. I, not that I don't have any fears because I do, because I'm a human being, but how I handle fear and deal with fear now is completely different than it was before. And I think that's really the secret to a successful life, because even a firefighter that is in incorporation or in whatever the English word is of, of a successful and courageous person, they are afraid every time they go into a fire and they have to be for their own safety. 
but they have the courage to overcome the fear, take the precautions they need to be reasonably safe and do it anyway. And that's really courage. It's not not having any fear. That would be ridiculous because people that don't have any fear, and you can prove that brain waves, if you don't have no anxiety and your basal ganglia amygdala where the anxiety is stored, have low function, you don't care. You do things like steal, rob the grocery store. You go across the street without looking. And that's not courage. That's just being irresponsible. So I love what you're saying. Face your fear, be courageous, and it's good to be afraid. And it's the thing how to deal with your fear. That's awesome. So what do you do to deal with the fear? Can you tell an example? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, first, I, I want to say there's, there's sayings about fear. You know, there's different acronyms. I'm going to share mine in a minute. But the one thing that I started doing towards that end of that year is uh, realizing that every time I broke through a different fear every day, because now I was exercising my fear-breaking muscle, right? Every day ex exercising that. So one thing I realized is that on usually the vast majority of the time, after I broke through the fear, it was a good thing and I felt good. So I started getting addicted to that good feeling of breaking through fears. And then I realized that I need to break through fears because I'm scared, because I'm scared. So I say, okay, I, oh, if I'm starting to feel something that's um, anxious or whatever now, when I say, oh, that's just fear. I'm going to do it because I'm scared. And what happens is I enlarge the size of my comfort zone on a regular basis because I'm constantly breaking through fears. Now, some of the fears that I've broken through, they show up again and again and again. It's not like they disappear, but the next time and the next time it's easier and easier and easier. So I actually came up with my own acronym. I've heard acronyms like um, false evidence appearing real or face everything and rise, face everything and run. There's a whole bunch of different acronyms out there. Uh, one day I was brushing my teeth and I was, because I was looking at these different acronyms and I said, false evidence appearing real. There is nothing false about my fear at all. Like it is as real as real can be to me, as real as real can be to me. And so I said, you know what? I, one thing I noticed is that when my faith is weak, my fears are very, very strong. So faith erases anxious reactions became the acronym that I came up with because when our faith is strong, our fear is weakened. It doesn't really disappear. Fear is weakened. And when our faith is strong, whether it's faith in God or faith in ourselves, faith in others, when we have that faith, it's a lot easier to go forward. So one of the things I do when I'm experiencing fear is I'll ask myself the question, and I do say in the third person, by the way, I will say, Linda, how strong is your faith? And I'll say, ah, it's weak. I need to check in with my faith, and I need to just go do this because I'm scared. So that's one of the techniques I use. I have a lot of different techniques. After a year, you know, I create a whole bunch of different techniques to use to, to go through. That's one of them. And that one, like a boom, I just I check in. I say, okay, let's go. Let's do this because you're scared. So it becomes a habit. Every time you notice that you're scared, this habit kicks off. Hey, I'm afraid. Here's what I'm doing to overcome this and walk forward courageously. And 
for any listeners, Zoom is a little freezing up. It does it sometimes at their servers. And uh, you, you wrote a book about your fears, didn't you? Yeah, I did. called The Year of Fears. And um, after I was done facing those fears every day, my mentor, Greg Reed, he said, that's cool that you face the fear every day. What are you going to do about it? And I said, what do you mean? What am I going to do about it? I think facing a fear day is plenty. I don't need to do anything. He goes, no, you need to write a book because who faces the fear? There's a story there. People are out there that need to hear your story. Now, what was interesting is I was scared to write the book and I was scared to publish the book, but I went ahead and did it again because I was scared. And then about maybe six months after I published it, I was attending an event and there were about three or 400 people at this event. And I was um, you know, talking to some friends of mine and I heard this woman come running from her side of the room and she was yelling, Linda Sunshine. And I was like, oh God, who is that woman? She's going to cost me or what, you know? But she, she said, I just want to let you know, I, I bought your book, the first 14 pages, and I've already broken through five fears. And in that moment, I knew why I booked. It was in that moment. And so I'm so glad my mentor, first of all, recommended it. And then he encouraged me. And then I went ahead and did the steps to actually write it. So we all have a story inside of us. Are we sharing that story? And why not? If not, there's somebody out there who needs to hear our story and they're waiting for us to tell it. That is so true, especially when we are a little older, like most of us are like 30 plus, let's be gentle, <laughs> and overcame challenges. And it's a human thing. As humans, it's our life task to overcome challenges. We all have different challenges. And when we read, listen, or hear the stories of others, their challenges, and connect to that because our challenge is similar, suddenly that challenge is something that we can overcome too. And it gives us hope and the courage to go on, even if we are at the moment, as many of my clients are depressed, are anxious themselves and don't know where to go, or you, they're stuck in the victim mode and they don't want to stay there because it's not a fun place to be. It's painful. And yeah, definitely. This is a wonderful opportunity to read those books with the stories. And I only can recommend all of the books of the Women Action Taker series that you're writing. And oh my God, there are so many stories in it. And I connected just a few women I met in this book, The Invincible Forevermore, in, uh, Invisible No More. I was invisible myself. I was in a mental hospital and I overcame that challenge for a doctor. It was a big thing. and. Uh, there's other women that came through similar challenges and other men that came through similar challenges. And when we read here and connect to women and men that overcame challenges, it helps us to see that we are not lost causes. Yeah. And you know, one thing that's interesting is you mentioned earlier about the women in the book, you know, Invisible No More, Invincible No More. By the way, Christine's story is absolutely amazing. Please get the book and read her story if nobody else's. And also she has a YouTube video out there that tells her story on the Women Action Takers uh, uh, YouTube channel. But the thing is, um, what one thing I realized is, you know, th through telling story, learning how to tell stories, I was never a storyteller before. And 
this is something that's been a newer development for me. And now I love it. It's funny how kind of like morphed into telling stories all the time now. But um, the thing I like to say is our relation points create our relationships. So when I tell my story and there's something I'm saying that resonates with you that you can totally relate to, that's really the start to a connection that creates a relationship. How we cultivate the relationship after that completely different thing. You know, we have that first like, wow, I went to, I totally get this woman or I totally get this man. So you have to reach out to them and see how we can create something together or just, I just want to talk to them and see how they come through it, you know? So it's really, again, important for us to tell our story because it's through our stories that people will connect with us. And when they do connect with us on that level, especially when we're sharing the harder times in our lives, you know, those, those challenges that we went through and they went through that same challenge, they totally relate to us. So I think it's very important for us to tell our stories. And that's why creating the Women Action Takers Publishing was important for me because I myself, my voice was stifled for decades, decades. I didn't speak out. I didn't share my voice because I had that fear of judgment. And I was fearful that, you know, that if something that they wouldn't like me, you know, people pleaser personality that came through. So once I started sharing my voice, I more and more people actually relate to me instead of pushing me away. So it's really kind of interesting how that fear that I had was so completely opposite of the reality, completely opposite of what really, really happened when I started sharing my story and sharing voice. So yeah, get out there and share your voice and make sure you read Christine's story because it is incredible. Thank you. And I must say when I shared my story and it was actually before I, I wrote my part in the in the book, uh, I had it on, on my YouTube and my, my website, not in as polished form, but uh, it, it is still there and you can, can watch me tell it in person. And the first time I put it out there, I was scared. And the first video I put on YouTube and I talk to people that are still scared to go on video. They think they don't look, is my hair right? No, it isn't. Come on, it's not. I'm not looking perfect. I don't care. Uh, the first video I put on YouTube was awful. It's still there. I called it WTF slash exercise. It shows me doing basic Tai Chi exercises at my girlfriend's house. It's miserable. And I knew it was miserable. And I put March music underneath, which totally doesn't fit. And there's a cat on the video. If you love cats, you can watch it. And what I did, it was the first video ever. So I said, what do I do with this miserable piece of video? And I said to myself, hey, put it on YouTube. So I did. I published it on YouTube and I was scared. After a week, I went back and looked. And you know what happened? Nobody watched it. Nobody, no <laughs> views. So I said to myself, hey, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And so and often, my was gone. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes we pay so much um you know, so much stock in those views and things. And, and because of those views, it moves us into a different state of mind. Nobody watched my stuff, nobody commented. And so we, we think there's something wrong with us. But yeah, that, that's the state of mind to have is that, oh, awesome. Nobody watched it. It's no big deal. You know, it's not like, oh, millions of people are going to watch my video. I mean, that doesn't happen unless we you know get them to watch. Like we have to actually reach out to people and 
and to make some of that stuff happen. But um, I had you know similar type of experience. And so what I started doing, I don't know if you know this, Christine, but I have done over 4,000 Facebook Live videos. This is part of my breaking through fears was doing videos. And what I would do is do a video and if I did to watch it. So this is a, a recommendation that I'm all of my clients is if you're going to go watch your video, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take notes of all the things you did right. And I want you to take notes of all things you did great. I want you to take notes of all the things that you funny. I want you to forget about all the rest. Just concentrate on the good stuff because what happens is what we focus on, what materializes. So the more you concentrate on the funny things, the good things, the right things, then the more that you will do the good things, the funny things, the right things. So focus on that to get the results that you want to get. And then also when you watch the videos, it won't be so painstakingly hard. <laughs> it really isn't that hard anymore after a while to watch your video. You get used to it. At first you think, oh my God, my voice sounds terrible. And the faces I'm making, the those get still faces and you and then you touch you know and all those things that you're not supposed to do nobody notices honestly nobody notices i've been out there a lot and if somebody noticed well say hey yeah that's video <laughs> it's real yeah well thank exactly. you that's what it is yeah you go out there and do some videos <laughs> just encouraging them to do it. yeah yeah just just do them when you talk to people face to face are you scared if you are do it Start with that. It's easier. Oh my gosh. And that actually, a lot of my fears that I broke through that year were about talking to people because I had, uh, you know, my first husband told me I was stupid and ignorant on a daily basis for two years. And unfortunately I was believing him. And then all the things that I heard as a child, unfortunately, I ended up believing all of that stuff about myself. And so, and he also used to say, people are only nice to you because they feel sorry for you. And I believe that. So when I would go approach people, I was terrified. What if, you know, what if they judge me? What if I say something stupid? What if they, what if I say something ignorant? I remember the most common thing I would say is that what if they catch on to me about how stupid and ignorant I am? And so I didn't want to speak, you know, to talk to anybody. And so that year was, you know, tremendous for me breaking through those fears right there. So now I approach people and I don't worry if I say something goofy or silly. I don't ever say anything stupid and I don't say, ever say anything ignorant. I do know that, but I might say something that I shouldn't have said maybe, <laughs> but, but I am me. I'm showing up as me. And that was hard for me to discover like who is when I was as a people pleaser, I lived my life for others and I literally would not make a decision unless I knew what you wanted to do, because then I would make a decision and follow what you wanted to do. And it was very confusing, very confusing to live that for 51 years. And no longer that way. I have, you know, blasted through the people pleaser. I'm no longer, I'm a recovered people pleaser. And life is so much better when I make my own decisions based on what I actually love to do and not, and don't love to do. And that is wonderful, Linda. And, and I'm just interested. You say you had a bad childhood and people told you you're stupid. And that's why became, you become a people pleaser. Do you think that the opposite is also true? When you are told always you're special, you're better than anybody else. 
you become a people pleaser too because you think you're you know inside you are not that interesting i don't know i never i never did that perspective because i wasn't that person but i do know this that there are a lot of people who grow up in those bad environments that 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 stuff fuels them to be better mm. there are other people like me that that stuff fuels us to believe in them to believe that what they're saying is true and so what makes the difference between those two types of people i love to talk about like oprah winfrey she grew up in a very bad you know very very bad environment and look at her now i mean she's absolutely incredible doing all these amazing things and she grew up in a bad environment what was it different about oprah winfrey or her life or her path or people in her you know along her journey that you fueled her to do something different and to not be that person. Wow, that is really fascinating. And I have to think about it because it, 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 it entered my brain because I was really the opposite. My parent always thought, told me I was special and I happened to be able to race through the challenges. I happened to be smart enough to excel in school and be the best. And then at some point I woke up and realized it's all not true. It's not true. And that led to my big depression. And I think some depressed people that grew up in a really great environment, too great, end up in the same spectrum as people that, end, that grow up in a bad environment. Just with the added problem that people like I grew up often think they're entitled. And that is an added burden really because nobody else thinks that, as we know. <laughs> and that's a good idea that you put me to, Linda. Thanks for that. I have to explore that a little bit and do a video about it. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that that is fascinating because I never heard from that perspective. So again, you know, the opposite, you know, thanks for that perspective to give me something to think about. Because I love to think about those types of things, but I don't know about them until they come up. And, um, it is very interesting. And like that saying that I said earlier, you know, our only job as parents is to get our kids to 18 alive. And you grew up in a different environment where they were encouraging, telling you how great you were and all this stuff. And, and you went this one way, right? And I grew up in abuse and I went that way. And, and so what is it that really sets us apart that makes us different? My, my father and my, my uncle, my dad's brother, they were the same type of people. And his, my uncle's um, kids, he had six kids. My dad had five. All six kids had been in prison, you know, in and out of prison, just like their dad. My dad had never been in prison and none of us kids ever went to prison, you know? And so it's kind of interesting how they grew up in the same environment. And my dad became this, um, you know, while my dad was an abusive alcoholic, he was a brilliant man, absolutely brilliant. And so I know I caught some of that stuff, some of that brilliance, you know? But I never, I never believed it until after my life coach worked with me and helped me to see it. That's wonderful. You know, I, I realized after, after reading many books and talking to, to really a lot of people, and I always try to discover some of their essence. Of course, you can never discover somebody in truth, but you can feel people and they mm -hmm. all have an energy. And I love that. And uh, we are all the same in the end. 
you have a different genetic makeup, you have a different physiology, we have different preferences, habits and all that. But as people, we struggle with the same issues overall, with the same big issues. And I think as parents, we will make it to make mistakes and screw up our kids. I agree with that. And I think in centuries past, parents just didn't think about it. They were happy when the children got to adulthood because most died early from infectious diseases. Nowadays, maybe as parents, we overthink it if we want to do it right. I did. I know as a parent, I read all the parenting books. I tried to do it exactly like, oh my God, and then it didn't work out. Right. Exactly. exactly. So it, it is up to our kids because you know they, they do have their own minds. And um, I was watching a video yesterday. It was uh, very interesting how the mother wanted the son, uh, the mother and the father have split custody of the kids. And so when the father came and brought the kid home, the kid didn't want to get out of the car, did not want to go with the mother. And she just like fought and fought and fought to get that kid out of the car. So I'm thinking about, and the kid was, he stood his ground. He was 14 years old. He stood his ground. He said, I am not going in there. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just this struggle, this constant struggle. And it was a long, long video. I kept skipping through it to see what happens. And it ended up as, as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, what possible damage is this mother doing to this kid by fighting? She brought the police into the situation. The kid did not want to go. He was 14 years old. A 14-year-old, if he got out of the car and went into the house, he probably would have run away anyway. He was 14 years old. You know, how can you control a 14-year-old unless you really got your thumb on them? But it got me thinking about how, you know, how many things happened in my life when I was 14, how how strong and brave was I? Well, not very because I didn't run away. But you know, how how strong uh, minded was I? You know, we you have a mind of your own. There's a point in our life where we are an adult in our mind, we're not in our age. And so I think that part of that, like is, did that mom potentially create something within her kid at that age, at 14, that he's gonna carry into his future, his adult life. And you know, who knows, who knows? And who knows if it's positive or negative? That's the interesting part because some of those children that experience that they have a trauma that they never get over and end up as victims. And yeah. others gain strength of that and say, hey, I stood up to my mother. I can stand up to everybody and to life and grow stronger of it. So I think it is a very fascinating topic. And as before, I encourage all the listeners and viewers that read that to look at the books, read the stories, read the stories of real people that went through real challenges and have the courage to be real, just like yourself and myself and yes. many others, because we are not alone. And that's a good thing. So that's Linda, sure. thank you so much for coming today on this show. It's awesome, always awesome to talk with you. And I'm looking forward to many more collaborations with you. Me too. Thanks, Christine, for having me. I appreciate you and keep doing this great work because it's so important for us to make these connections and to, you know, to discover different things about ourselves to help us become the, the better people and the people that we're here meant to be. Yeah, and, and not to struggle with life alone because everybody struggles but at least not alone there's many people that have similar journeys and are here to help you and assist you and one recommendation for me personally 
if you ever want a book, want to write your story, our women action taker, and want to connect with Linda, do so, talk to her, and she'll help you get your book to number one. <laughs> She's awesome. Thanks, Linda. Thank you so much, Christine, for having me. Bye.